This is SBE Talks 2. Adrian Ledros. Hey, welcome to the SBE Podcast. I'm Trent Jacobs. Today we're talking with Adrian Ledros. Adrian, what's your title? I'm the I'm a VP and also the chief scientist for wellboard placement at Charo Data. Okay, there's a there's a lot to unpack here. I wanted to uh, talk about um, some of the technology that your company's developing and just the uh, the realm of of drilling surveying technology in general. But before we got on, you were you were telling me that you actually didn't start off in oil and gas. So you were a uh, biomedical engineer. That's correct. Yes, I'm a biomedical engineer. I started uh, working with sensors, signals, processing that to extract uh, useful information, and then. Similar principles, I started uh, working on systems and sensors for downhole surveying. Again, looking at signals, getting them better to extract information, but uh, for wellboard placement. Okay, great. So, you know, another another person, another example of, of, of how you can take other uh, areas of expertise and port them into the oil and gas industry. You actually got exposed in Calgary, you were saying. Your, your, your uh, accent gives you away, so you're not from the U.S., you're from... I'm from Argentina, yes. Um, so I learned my English uh, via Calgary. I did a master's there in electrical engineer. Um, and then that's, that's where I, when I transitioned to the oil and gas and the, the world of uh, wellbore surveying. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about wellbore surveying. Um, you know, this is a technology that personally, I, I have focused a lot of my energies over the years on completions technology, sort of looking at that as like uh, one of the big drivers of, of the unconventional revolution here in North America. Um, but uh, wellbore placement and wellbore surveying is something that I'm, I'm a little bit less exposed to through my reporting. So uh, I was going to see if maybe we could just start off, even if it's for my own benefit, if not the listeners, you know, what, what is wellbore surveying? Um, you know, how did it start? What's the evolution of that technology arena look like? When the whole drilling for all started, um, we were doing vertical wells. There was no survey. You just uh, drill a hole on the ground vertically or try to keep it vertically and, and hit the oil. Um, but then um, we started uh, needing to deviate the wells and uh, to get to a different formation or because of different obstacles. Uh, and then we needed to know where we were drilling. And so through the use of different methods, the the first one were very primitive, and then with the evolution of the transistor, the electronics, more sophisticated methods um, using, well, first mechanical method with gyroscopes and magnetometers, and then with the, well, accelerometers, and then spinning wheel gyroscopes, um, solid-state magnetometers and solid-state gyros, so you can basically deviate the well and know where you're going. Um, and you need that information to well, to see that you reach the reservoir and also to to see the place that you thought have oil really produce at the end of the day. One of the things we, we see a lot of uh, sort of cartoons of, of oil wells, uh, you know, them kind of going into the layer cake and hitting that that right target. But then you sit through enough technical sessions on this subject and you learn that like staying in the target zone is very difficult. Um, and so some traditional technologies, you know, one of the things, you know, measurement while drilling, I guess, uh, would be uh, sort of the, 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 the bedrock, if you will, of, of this area. Um, it, it's, it has well-documented challenges with helping people stay in the formation. So can you talk about um, what are those challenges? Why, why, you know, the evolution of this technology has continued to be needed? Sure, yes. So the measurement while drilling, 
um, usually refers to the measurement of the orientation using uh, magnetometers and accelerometers. So they measure the air magnetic field and to determine the, the orientation and with the information from the accelerometers. Um, getting a bit nerdy here, but... Uh, That's fine. That's our audience is, is sort of the Petro nerd community, so feel free. You, you can estimate the, the, the inclination and the orientation or, or the, the azimuth. Um, but one of the issues is that the magnetometer will measure magnetic field regardless of the source. So you're not only measuring the earth magnetic field that determine your north, you will measure um, the steel on the on the bottom hole assembly plus any ore deposit or anything that is downhole. In addition, the magnetic field is not something static and it has uh, anomalies due to the to the the um, the crustal field and also is affected by uh, magnetic solar storms and other things. So the reference is, is not very stable and you have to model that with, well, it, it's possible to do it with very sophisticated models, but it's not as simple as just you run a sensor and, and you get your information clean. So you have to cancel all these um, other influencing factors out, you know, including, you know, solar flares and, yes. and, uh, and the Earth's own magnetic field, which isn't static. And, and so I imagine that's, that's been a difficult process to do over the years. Yeah, and there are several uh, companies, universities, and uh, governmental agencies that um, study these, and they have magnetic models. <clears throat> it's also possible to, well, to monitor this in real time and apply that to the, to the field where you are drilling. But obviously, these are cost and complexity and the procedures and sometimes there is even a delay so in order to continue drilling you need to know where you are but you need to to do a correction based on what's going on so that delays the process as well and traditionally we're talking about you know you know when i've been exposed to mwd and 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 surveying um, and this may be a little outdated, but people talk about, you know, 90 foot, uh, measurement. So every 90 feet you drill, you take a measurement and you may realize you're pointed up, down a little bit too far, and then you have to correct. And then that's, that's sort of been pointed to by drilling experts as one reason for, um, you know, shales, uh, highly undulated wells. Again, going back to those cartoons that we see in corporate slide decks, you see these nice straight, uh, wells, but and then reality, they're, they're, they look like, uh, you know, little wormholes are going up and down and, and. And, and that kind of torach, uh, torturosity is not desired, right? So people are trying to get uh, effectively stay in zone and then get straighter wells. Is that sort of what the, the prize for drillers is today? Yes, yes, it is. That's correct. Yeah, that's uh, sometimes it's known as a wellbore quality. And, and yes, when you have a uh, data point, a survey every 90 feet, and sometimes it looks straight, sometimes it looks uh, undulated, but that's um, many times depends on when you stop and take the survey, if you are rotating or sliding, obviously you have a, an assembly that um, allow you to build a curve. So when you try to build a straight line, it's very difficult because that's a, it's usually a bend assembly. Um, but yeah, until we, we didn't get the technology that allow us to see the wellbores uh, with the high density of data, uh, right now, it's possible to get surveys every one foot if you have the, the right technology. Um, so before, it was just all assumptions and people well, were associated this with, the, with possible problems with undulations, but with, they really didn't have the data to validate it. 
Uh, but now we can survey, well, the open hole, either while drilling or post-drilling with a jar or a magnetometer, and then we can survey the casing as well and to see um, how straight the well was. was. And that's usually associated with uh, uh, all issues with the torque and drag. It may limit um, your uh, how far you can take the well because if you have a, if you have all this undulation, you can imagine that the frictions become very high, and you cannot transfer the weight to the bit and continue the drilling. So um, there are many benefits associated with the with the straight trajectory. So straighter, a straighter well, uh, kind of like you said, with less fric- friction, you're you're having uh, fewer drilling dysfunctions, and you're able to drill faster. Yes, and and, and farther, and also when it comes to the time of running casing, you have less problems. If you have to install a, a way of artificial artificial leaf, artificial means, then again, um, those work much better if you are in a straight line that um, they are subject to bend. Right. We've seen lots of reports. We, we put them in JPT about um, the, those undulations during production can cause slugging because the gas uh, basically builds up behind a sort of a, a, a water sump. Uh, and then also if you, if you have too steep of a, uh, or severe of a dog leg, uh, then we've seen people with rod lift, like you can run uh, rub a hole in the casing or the tubing in just days. Um, you know, that's, that's a pretty well-documented problem too. These are all headaches that, uh, that when unconventional drilling kind of started, they, they weren't really discussed, but over the last, you know, I would say last five years, these become pretty popular, uh, topics and drivers trying to get people, uh, in drilling closer to the people in production uh, so that they can you know, kind of see each other's own problems. Yes, we have worked with a few companies that actually, uh, well, because of the high density data, they, they were using this uh, primarily for the placement of uh, ESPs, electrical submersible pumps. So in many cases, they have um, issues with the pumps like after a week, and these are very expensive uh, piece of equipment. uh, uh, ESPs are uh, almost a million dollars each. I I think they are about a quarter of a million dollars. But yeah, if you you break a couple, and these were lasting only for a week, and plus the lost production and the work over time and all that. So we, well, we we have shown that with the high density data, you can uh, establish if the pumps is going to last, or you really, there were cases in which you say, well, this well was drilled in such a way that um, there is no good place for it, so I'm going to have to convert it to an artificial lift. But certainly putting the the drilling people with the production and completion people together has been very beneficial for this operator because now everybody can see it's not that the the drilling department drill wells and they just forget about it and, and go into the... Right, which was which was sort of the accepted siloing of the business uh, years ago was, you know, drillers had uh, one mandate, which was to drill fast, right? And and yeah. bring those drilling days down from 40 to five or four in some cases we've seen in the Permian. Uh, but then as those, like, I call them like the, the, the rig speed records, as those all got shattered, this, this topic of wellbore quality uh, started to come up at in technical discussions. We obviously saw a lot more papers, and then companies like Gyro Data come along with with some advanced technology. Uh, before we get into to some of those things, the things that you're working on and done with Gyro Data, I just want to take a quick break, and then we'll come right back. Sign up for the JPT newsletter. This is a hassle-free way to stay connected. You can read features on technology advancements and exploration and production. You're going to get reminders on oil and gas issues 
and you're going to just get general news about what's going on in the SPE and with its members. The JPT newsletter keeps you up to date with the latest technology developments. It's delivered to your inbox every week, and it's just a great way to stay ahead of the curve. We're going to include a link to this free newsletter in the show notes of the podcast. Click it, get signed up, and you're done. So Adrian, I wanted to talk a little bit about gyro data, you know, the technology you guys have been developing, you know, you've been with gyro data for, you said 15, 15 years? years. So you've yes, seen, yeah. you know, you've seen this company really evolve and also this space. Um, so uh, go ahead and tell me about, you know, you know, what, what is y'all's latest and greatest technology? What are y'all bringing to the market? All right. Yeah. I'll give you a, a little uh, background uh, before starting. So we initially started with the um, gyro surveying, um, in, in casing and for orientations and kickoff, basically um, that's the area they usually have magnetic interference and you cannot use a magnetometer. So a high accuracy system was so you, developed. You're, you're talking about the kickoff point. So yes. you're drilling the curve. Where, where do I want my lateral section to go out and yeah. begin and at what degree or inclination yeah. I want it to start? Orient a whipstock. Okay. Yeah. If it's vertical, then you need some... Um, well, the magnetometer doesn't work because you have magnetic interference and because it's vertical, the accelerometers don't give you any idea of the orientation or tool phase. But with the gyro, you can measure the earth rotation and orient that so you can start drilling in the desired direction. So uh, that was uh, successful. Then there was more interest to increase the, the, the accuracy of the, of the wellboard placement. Um, so we develop uh, gyros that, uh, well, with a higher inclination capability, and then a drop gyro, that the, the the main advantage was it doesn't take any rig time. You drop the tool after you get to a section TD, and when you pull out of the hole, it produces a, a survey. Hmm. Is that like wireline deployed or? No, that's a, just a drop, it's a memory tool. Okay. Um, the wireline is good because you have all the, the, you can have a lot of data density, and you can see in real time what's going on, but you are preventing the rig from drilling, uh, and you though that's cost money, and nobody likes to just stop the the drill for for saving. So those are still used, but are not as popular as a, as a drop gyro. Um, then in the early 2000s, we came up with the gyro while drilling tool, which basically is similar to standard NWD, but we take a, a gyro survey while drilling. So every time the drilling process stops um, to make a, a new connection, a new, you connect another piece of pipe, then we are stationary and that's where we, we take a survey. Now, now you have to be stationary and no vibrations. That'll, that'll set off the, the measurements in the wrong direction. Is that why you need everything to stop? Yes, yes. Basically, the gyro measures rotation, um, which is, uh, well, a special kind of movement, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you have that as the magnetometer cannot distinguish between the different magnetic fields, well, the gyro cannot distinguish between the different movements. So it measures the air rotation, but if you are rotating the BHA or moving it, it will affect the, the quality of the measurement. Um, but then, yeah, we started with the, the gyro while drilling. First was limited to 20 degrees of inclination. As you go higher inclination, it becomes, um, well, the, the effect of the errors on the azimuth measurements start increasing. So through a series of development, we first came up with the GWD 40 and then 70. And in 2012, we 
came up with the GWD90, basically a tool that um, can surveil uh, in any orientation while drilling. So if I have a really steep inclination on my my lateral, that used to be sort of a, a, a challenge for you to get an right. accurate measurement. But now I can I can come down off my, my kickoff point and go go up at a pretty pretty high angle. Or and any you can still, angle, and yes. you still be accurate. Yeah. Um, but that that was based on the the spinning mass uh, gyroscope, which is uh, basically um, like a tabletop principle. It's, uh, it's, it has a small motor that make a mass spin, and due to the physical properties, when this is subject to uh, rotation, well, it it changes the signal output, and we can use that uh, uh, to determine the the azimuth. Um, so in 2012, yeah, we started developing, uh, we started looking at um, what is called a solid state, um, similar to what is sometimes called MEMS technology. Basically, no moving parts. It's a different principle of operations, but it still is a, it's a sensor that measures rotation. So we launched uh, our first product was in 2018, uh, a memory tool, similar to the drop I described, but instead of the spinning mass gyro, is a solid state gyro. And then we launched uh, last year the, the GWD version of that, the gyro while drilling using this technology. Okay, I have a few questions. Let's, you know, first let's, let's, let's back up and just you know, talk about gyros, you know, so, um, and accelerometers and all th this whole world, you know, has, um, you know, why is that technology uh, sort of just entering the scene in the 2000s is, is you know, I, I look at like my smartphone and we, we assume that the iPhones made a lot of like sensor technology cheaper. And we always hear about gyros in this context. And I, I'm wondering, is, is that, it was that a driver or, or did, was gyros uh, that, that area of technology, it was just, it's time to be commoditized or brought down and advanced and put in something that can drill a well. Yeah, the, the first gyros that we started using in, in the 80s, those were from the aerospace industry. At the time, there was no GPS, and there was uh, a lot of driver for getting gyros to be more accurate. So you can uh, navigate with a plane or a satellite or a missile um, using these gyros and accelerometers. Then with the advancement on the GPS and then becoming more popular, the driver for having high accuracy gyros uh, kind of went down. Uh, but as technology advanced and all that, there was some, yes, there was some, um, well, again, driver to get gyros on, on, on your phone. Uh, but those were kind of a low accuracy uh, and more importantly, probably is a limitation on temperatures. Those sensors don't operate higher than I don't know, 60 degree centigrade would be the highest in, in a desert. Uh, but downhole, that won't get you very far. Um, but there was a development as well of uh, more safety features in cars and some military applications that needed the, the high temperature. So that also drove the, well, the manufacturers to, be, to look at uh, sensors with more accuracy, but also with more higher temperature capability. Um, that's where we found uh, these solid state jars that we, we, we are using uh, because for a car, usually they are rated to 125 degrees centigrade and for some military application as well. So 
became again a, a well there was an incentive for this company to develop this technology and now if you add the fact that um, for many applications you don't we you don't want to be connected with the gps you would want to be off the grid so if you have a good uh, a good gyro good accelerometer you can navigate without depending on the gps and without anyone knowing so there is also uh well, more developments on, on that area. And so, you know, you used to have, uh, you know, actual spinning mass gyros, right? Yes. Uh, that was sort of the entry for gyro data. Uh, but what's special about solid state? I think you, you, know, you mentioned that it can handle better, uh, higher temperatures. So that sort of takes you into the HPHT world of, of uh, oil and gas drilling. Yeah, the, the other aspect was uh, the, the spinning mass gyro because of the, the nature. If you subject it to, to a lot of shock and vibration, you start generating some small imperfections or bending inside the gyros that um, created what is usually known as a, a mass imbalance. Imagine it's a spinning wheel, and if you keep shaking it, um, something will happen to it. And, and that created errors in the measurements. This solid state, because it's a... It's a different principle. Doesn't have this error, which was one of the main contributors to the to the uncertainties. So, so now it's a gyro that, uh, well, basically can take as much as a, as a magnetometer uh, regarding shock and vibration. So now, yeah, at the risk of getting into the weeds here, you know, so are there, are there any moving parts in a solid state gyro? <clears throat> well, there is a small vibration, but it's in the order of the nanometers. So that's. There's a vibration that uh, when it's subject to rotation, it changes its nature and you can sense that, but uh, it's really not something that you would be able to see. So for all practical purposes, yeah, it doesn't have any, any moving parts. And so it sounds like a, 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 a pretty big leap from having, you know, the, uh, uh, the spinning mass gyros. And so I'm just curious, you know, how, you know, in your eyes, how big of an advancement in, in technology is it? And, you know, how many years did that take to develop? And there's, you know, there's, there, there are other uh, companies in different verticals using solid state gyros for, for other things. Yeah, yeah, there, there are a few other companies. For us, it was a, well, we wanted to maintain the accuracy of the, the spinning mass gyro, uh, which is very accurate. The problem was that the calibration or the sensor could change on the drilling environment. Um, so for us, we started this process in 2012 until we came up with the first product in 2018. Uh, but so that's six years a, of R&D for you guys. Yes, yes. To give you an idea, uh, we went from, from a tool with all the electronics required to run the gyro from 16 feet to three feet. So that's a great advantage for, for the downhole. Um, we reduced the power to about 15% of uh, the previous technology. So this makes the, the battery last long. We now can drill the whole well, survey while drilling and survey while pulling out of the hole. So there are many, many advantages. Um, are you using mud pulse telemetry to, to send the yeah, data back we, up? We can use any any technology, yeah. yeah. But also the, the number of electronics board requires to run this gyro went from eight to two. So the reliability increases a lot. You have less components, less connector, less wires. So, the and, this, and the subunit is just three feet long. Yes, yes. Now, 
love when things get really small, but they, they help make giant decisions. And, uh, you know, one thing that, that you guys and other people have talked about over the years, especially with regards to staying in the target location or, or horizon and shale is the ellipsis of error. And so ha have you seen, you know, so if, for all those, uh, for the, the listening public here, we're sort of talking about this, it's, uh, it's an ellipsis, so it's like an oval-shaped uh, sort of dotted line that goes around the center of your, uh, of your drill bit, and this is the error area that you could you could be either dead center or you could be 15 feet up or 15 feet down. And uh, but we can tell you if you're in that circle, it's sort of like the cone of uncertainty for hurricanes. Right. Um, we can tell you you're in here or out of here, but not precisely where you are inside of that ellipsis. Um, and so have you seen um, this this ellipsis of error shrink because of the technologies like this? Yes, yes. Um of course, it depends on the on the wellbore profile and the location and the, the actual situation. So for a vertical well, it doesn't make a lot of difference. And most of the error there comes from the misalignment, how well you are centered on the tool. And we, we know that no vertical well is truly vertical, right? So right. even in a vertical well, you're, you're never really drilling straight down. You have an ellipsis of error even in that scenario. Correct. Yes, yes. But... Um, it doesn't make much difference whether you use uh, one sensor or another to measure the orientation because it's, it's mostly vertical and, and the error sources is uh, mostly the misalignment and the, the inclination. But when you go to your deviated well, especially the, the unconventional with the long lateral section, um, then you start seeing a, a big difference. And we see reduction of uh, depending on what tool and again, the orientation, if you are north or south, is not the same as east or west, but we see a reduction of 30 or 40% on the on the list of uncertainty, um, which is, we feel that is really important. Uh, um, sometimes there are unknowns and people drill these wells and they don't know why, well, here I got good production and this other well um, following the same principles in the same formation with the same driller, I got uh, half of the production, but if you don't have a good measurement of where you are, you may be really close close to the other well and you are taking oil from the other well. Right. I mean, you bring up a great, great point, which is uh, there, there's, there's even within uh, trying to get spacing measurements down, we've seen the analyst groups um, try to do this from public data, and it's actually very hard to know where the laterals are. Um, so when we look at well spacing, people are like, well, it's, it's, it's three, they're free, 300 feet apart. And then you know, the sort of the purists will say, well, 300 feet at which point along that two mile lateral? Um, and even those uh, are hard questions uh, for everybody to answer just because the surveying is so tough. And I was on a webinar, actually, they were doing that. They were analyzing public data. And, and I asked, well, how, how do you know that the wells were placed where they say they were? And I said, well, I'm looking at the data and it says that this is the position. So this is the position. But they don't take into account this uncertainty and the larger the uncertainty, the more that this analysis becomes kind of useless because you may be analyzing this, but the wells can be very close or far apart or even outside the, the formation or even sometimes crossing some lease line and you are drilling on your neighbors. To your point, maybe you can comment on this too. Over the years, we've also seen you know the geomechanics crowd um, within Shell, which uh, is, a, is a relatively small group, but they carry a big stick, you know, and when they talk, uh, I always listen because, you know, they're, they're, they're becoming sage these days uh, as more and more companies learn that if I place my wellbore uh, just inches in, in a different position, then that could direct the outcome of this well. And so they're talking about 
these uh, getting within these just these these minute facies of of the horizons, so that they can take advantage of all the geomechanical benefits and the stress and all this. But if they're off by, and some people say inches, if we're off by inches, then we will have a poor completion in this segment of the well. So that you know, there's another crowd that says, well, we can never be that accurate, or or in, and should we even try because of how much work it would require to be that accurate? But you must see the whole spectrum of of people who want to get to that nth degree of of that one you know bedding plane uh, versus people who are like just stay within this hundred foot you know uh, you know source rock and we're good. Yeah, yeah, I think there is a bit of a misunderstanding or misinformation uh, on the different um, departments of the the companies with the geologies and the drilling and the, the completion. Um, the targets sometimes they have a um, well. Not everybody understand the the uncertainty related when they do the reservoir model. There is an uncertainty associated with that, mm-hmm. and that <clears throat> transmit that information into a target, and then transmit that to the directional driller. How how precise you need to be? Um, yeah, th- there is. Um, when we say, well, this is the uncertainty that this survey tool will produce, a lot of people um, are really surprised to see, well, I thought because you give me a line that the well was on that line. It's, well, that's what the survey says. You are likely to be there, but you are as likely to be at any other place uh, in right. the ellipse of uncertainty. So we draw a picture of the reservoir, then we say, I want to stay within this layer. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's one picture. Then we superimpose another picture, which is the wellbore survey. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're looking at two things that are, that are basically estimates. And uh, you're just trying to reconcile both of them and stay mm-hmm. as accurate. But I think you're, you're sort of speaking to the, uh, the, the unknown aspects of, of drilling <laughs> these wells is that there's always some inherent, uh, you know, inaccuracy. You're just, you're just trying to get closer and closer to the bullseye uh, incrementally. But, you know, where that bullseye is, it just it kind of depends on the eye of the beholder. Yeah, and imagine if you, if you drill this well and your line is on the actual reservoir and, and you don't get any oil, what they do is then they shift the depth or the, the placement of the reservoirs instead of saying, well, maybe the survey is wrong and we didn't hit the reservoir. So it's, you have to close the loop and it may result in important decisions from abandoning a field or, or making different assessments. Now, we just uh, we had a story on JPT on our website not long ago about sort of the diverse market in Texas. I believe there was almost 80 uh, MWD and directional drilling companies uh, serving just the Texas market, which, you know, if you're not familiar, represents about half of on- onshore U.S. production, you know, almost like four and a half million barrels a day or more. Um, and so it's no surprise, but I, I was really surprised by the diversity. Uh, not that there was uh, so many people coming in, but just that there was all these companies and they were actually, you know, nobody really had more than 10% market share. Uh, so, you know, when you look back on your 15 years in this business, can you, do you have thoughts about watching the, the uptake of this technology? Was there a point in time where operators, uh, you know, especially in the U.S., they're always looking for the lowest cost uh, well, where they weren't using these technologies and then they gradually gravitated towards them? No, no pun intended there. Um, well, I think as you have so many um, NWD, you mentioned companies, service companies, it's the same with the, with the operators. So you have operators just drilling one well and operators, well, drilling um, a large number of wells. 
And I think also because of this, uh, well, all these different operators, many have different goals. Some wants to drill a well and stay stick to the field and really produce as much as they can. There were a, a group of people that actually were drilling wells and selling them. So, yeah, the flippers. Yes, and so, and then their cases, they are just looking at well, drill as fast as you can, and then move and drill to the other one and, and try to sell it as fast as you can, and so on. So the what we see is the the, the usually the bigger companies that. Um, try to develop the, the field and they're gonna stick to their wells. They try to do a much better job of placing the wells in the right place, build them straight so they can put a, um, artificial leaf means and and don't have to spend a lot of time and money on workovers. Um, so it really depends. Um, some some companies provide quality control and, and a very good job, but sometimes, well, the small operator or the yeah the, they don't they don't have a um, all the infrastructure and they don't look at the the future that far they just uh, right we've definitely seen how business models dictate you know your development strategy and and how you frack these wells and where you land them uh, one of the other things I wanted to get get you to talk about before we uh, jump off here was you know some of the HSC um, type issues you know. Uh, the collision events that that uh, you can try to prevent by doing, you know, robust MWD and gyro surveying. Uh, I, I've actually been on location where uh, they drilled uh, a, a new child well, a new well, within five feet of the the heel of a parent well. And when they when they tried to frack that toe stage, they went right into the next stage. So this would be, a, you know, frack, uh, frack bashing, frack hit. Um, and uh, they weren't using, um, you know, uh, the, the, the highest, the latest and greatest technology on this. So they really, they only realized, you know, tor- towards the end of the project that they had landed that well so close to another one, um, and, and they paid for it. Um, you know, they, they actually said, if we were trying to hit that other well, we couldn't have done it, uh, but we did. And so, you know, can you talk about those kind of events that, that you know, your technology can help prevent and, you uh, uh, and how it, how it all folds into well spacing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So usually the, there are two types of uh, collisions, and usually they are classified either as a HSE, in which you have a really an important damage to the environment, health, and safety. There can be some um, casualties. So that's obviously something that nobody wants, and nobody plans for that. And then you have a, the other type of collisions that can just have a financial impact. So the one that you described probably was more a financial impact and some companies even plan or take into account, well, if we have the, if we have a collision according to the well plan and the ellipses of uncertainty, if the ellipses of uncertainty start overlapping, then that means that you may have one well very close or actually hitting the other well. But they look at the consequences, the pressure if one is producing or if it's an old well, and, and they may live with that because, um, well, it's just... Uh, they they got to model it out and say, how often yeah. is that likely to happen? How much will it yes, cost? Yes, and how, me, how, how much is going to cost me to deviate this well or survey or stop and survey properly and, or, or range or, or use some, some technologies to stay away? Usually if you are offshore or if it's an important project and you have a, a light well producing with pressure, you wouldn't make that because uh, the, the cost of um, 
well, doing a successful relief well, and uh, your reputation, the environmental damage, the casualty, you cannot afford to do that. And so people then will take the, the measurements to On a $40 to million dollar well, it's a no-brainer, right? It's the $6 million well, the $7 million well that where you got um, you, you to make these decisions. Yes, and, and I think there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of collisions happening, but because it's just a financial impact and it happens downhole, there is no result, nobody see uh, oil flowing. Um, they are just live there and you just dr drill the next well and cross your finger and hope for the best. But with good surveying technology, there's really no reason to have a, or to worry about a collision. Yeah, yeah, you, you certainly can can avoid that if you have the, the proper procedures and technologies and, and it's something that is on your plan to avoid drilling the, the other wells, yes. Well, I, you know, I think we're out of time. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Adrian, and talking to us. Was there um, a last thought that you had on this technology, Irina? Is there, is there something on the horizon that, uh, that you're looking forward to, uh, sort of the, the next evolution of this, this technology area? Well, I think it, it would be the, the more integration, having uh, more sensors on the, on the BHA. Um, I think having the, the magnetometers, the gyros, and the, the accelerometers uh, probably all the time is uh, the, the best solution. So you you can get the, the best of uh, the two worlds. Um, and I look forward to that. Uh, we, we are working on that and also integrating this into rotary steerable. So right now those are based on magnetometers, but I think there would be a, an advantage to have a, the solid state gyro technologies in there so you can um, automate the, the drilling aspect. So, so a lot of this you, you think is definitely a stepping stone, sort of a prerequisite for the holy grail here of this, of this sector, which is automated drilling. Yes. Yes. I think that's a, it's a key part of it and it's going to continue evolving. And I think going to, um, well, result in tools incorporating these technologies. Adrian, where can people find you to learn more? Are you on LinkedIn? You're on Twitter? Where, where do you live on the internet webs? I'm on, yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on there, so just, uh, yeah, you can look for my name and, and contact me. I'll be happy to, to answer any question or follow up with any conversation. I'm also part of the steering committee on Wellboard Survey Accuracy. Uh, so my, I'm the, the program chair there. So if you, if you go to that uh, net. You can contact me uh, there as well. Okay, we're, we're going to put links to that on the show notes. All right, we want to keep the conversation going, so please use the hashtag SBE Podcast wherever you find us on your social media. Uh, reach out, send in your comments, and leave us some reviews on your podcast platform. We want to hear from you. And of course, we want you to read JPT online and in print. So make sure to bookmark us and keep checking in for new content. I'm Trent. See you next time. SPE Podcast is powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers, whose vision is to advance the oil and gas community's ability to meet the world's energy demands in a safe, environmentally responsible, and sustainable manner. Learn more at spe.org.